why is this happening to me? Have you ever said that? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever been in a situation where that is in the forefront of your mind? Or even you've said it out loud? I remember I was maybe 10 or 12 years old. I was pretty young at the time. And we lived on a farm and part of the property sloped down. And when it rained a lot, being in Oregon, it just created this natural swamp, right? Just filled with dirt and mud and craziness. And I remember at one point, my dad had brought home these uh, tall rubber boots. You know, for a grown man, it'd go up pretty high past your knees. But for a child that was a little bit on the short side back then, they went all the way up past my thighs. And I remember walking around with those, going down the field, and I was like convinced I could go through this mud, this swamp, and I was gonna have an amazing time and just on this adventure. And I remember getting, you know, going a couple feet into the swamp and it would go up my ankles. And at one point, point it was past my knees and then it was up to my thighs. And then the mud was coming in through my waist into the boots. And we're thinking, oh, I, I should, I should leave the swamp now. And the, the sinking feeling of you're using all of your muscles and you're not moving anywhere is a scary moment for a child, right? I mean, I would say for anyone, when you're fully stuck, you can't move. You are just in a hard place. And we're thinking, why is this happening to me? Well, pretty much, I caused this to happen to myself. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's that moment of when we feel stuck or in the swamp of life, if you will, or just fully engulfed in mud and we can't move, we wrestle with that. We think, why is this happening to me? You know, I, I have nowhere to go. I'm, I'm completely stuck in this swamp-like metaphor, if you will. And where one of my favorite characters, Elijah, wrestles with just this very thing. Why is this happening to me? First Kings chapter 19, 8 says this, so he got up, this is, being, this is Elijah, and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The Lord appears to Elijah. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Then, verse 11, the Lord said, Go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out, and stood at the mouth of the cave. I love this scene, right? And it's easy to get drawn into the presence of God showing up. But the takeaway for today is this back and forth that God has with Elijah, right? All of a sudden, God says, where, where are you? What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah responds with really, essentially, why is this happening to me? Right? He, he lists, he launches, he lists out all these things that are going on and what's happening to him. But he's really responding to God. Why is this happening to me? I did, all, I did this. I did that. All the right things are done. And yet they're trying, they're mad at me, right? And he turns it around and he makes it about himself. 
Have you, have you ever been there? I'm doing the right things. I say the right things. I read my Bible. I worship. Why, why is this happening to me? Right? Have we ever been in that situation, almost like physically stuck in the mud, right? Mentally or emotionally? Just like Elijah is stuck in this moment where he is hurt by these people trying to kill him. And he just leaves. He escapes. He runs away from his problems, from his situation. And God's like, what, what are you doing here? And Elijah responds with, why is this happening to me? And it's this, this great, great back and forth. Elijah had hope when things were good, but lost hope when things were bad. See, he, he, he was holding on to hope. If, if we remember our, our theme scripture in this sermon series, Can't Cancel Hope, we, we remember the illustration that hope is like an anchor, right? That, that's stuck behind the veil and we're holding on to it. And at one point, Elijah is all excited and everything's good and he's holding on to hope and he's like, yeah, God's awesome. Yeah, I'm going after all oh my God. It's amazing. And then when people are mad at him, He's like, whoa. And he wants to let go of the hope. He's like, eh, things are hard now. I don't like this. And he wants to run away from his problems. But the good news is you can't cancel hope. You can't quit your, whenever you try to cancel hope, quit your faith, give up, whatever. When it comes to hope, you got to remember four, these four things, right? One, you can't cancel hope. You can't cancel. Circle you, right? You can't cancel it because hope is a name and that name is Jesus. You can't, you can't quit, right? There's two parties involved. And if you're frustrated and hurt and you want to run away, hope doesn't quit on you. You can't cancel the love of Jesus over your life because you're in a bad mood. Mm. Number two, Jesus is hope. I feel like too many Christians think that hope is an emotion. It's not. It's Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Jesus won't cancel on you. He won't quit on you. He won't leave you. Just have you ever have you ever been canceled on or stood up? Like you're you're going to meet a friend, right? And you're like, hey, dude, let's go, let's go to the movies, let's go do this, whatever. And you're sitting there, and it's like, well, the movie's about to start. Okay, now now the movie has started. Now we're past the opening credits and the trailers. Okay, now it's like halfway. Where's my friend? Right, that's not the kind of relationship that Jesus offers. He's not the friend that forgets or cancels or stands us up. Jesus is very purposeful and knowledgeable and wise in his timing. I think a huge takeaway from this scripture is Elijah ran from his problems for 40 days and 40 nights. He ran for 40 days, 40 nights, the Bible says. He gets to this mountain and God's sitting there trying to talk to him, saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Number three, hope chases you. No matter where you run, no matter where you try and hide, no matter where you try to give up, no matter where you isolate yourself, hope is there waiting, wondering, what are you doing here? Insert your name here, right? Hope chases us no matter where we're at. Number four, 
hope knows your name. The first thing that God said when he got to there was, right, what are you doing here, Elijah? It wasn't what are you doing here. It wasn't some arbitrary statement. It, it was personal. Hope is personal. Hope knows your name. Hope doesn't quit on you and hope chases you. It's huge to remember. You're not in this alone. Hope is with you. So going back into the, the scripture, 1 Kings chapter 19, 13 through 14 says, When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out, and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? But just pay attention to the scene, right? God first said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And said, Come watch the presence of God is going to pass before you. The presence of God passed before you. And then Elijah hears God's voice. He, he witnesses the presence of God manifest on the earth, and he doesn't die. Right? He witnesses the full glory of God, and God spares his life because he has a purpose in this moment. And then God, being God, says the same thing again. You know, it, it's kind of a scary moment when God says the same thing twice because it means you didn't catch it the first time, and you get another chance, a second opportunity. Right? What are you doing here, Elijah? God gives Elijah a second chance. Same exact sentence in the Hebrew, same exact wording, same exact language. I love putting myself in, in God's perspective in this moment of just thinking, you know what, buddy? You're under a lot of stress. You just had a long trip. It's a little over a month. Give you a little breather. You're going to see my presence. You're going to see me in all my glory. And I'll circle back on you. And God says, hey, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah responds with, 14, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Now, I don't know if you caught it the first time. That's the exact same thing Elijah said the first time. He just repeats himself and thinks this is going to fly before God, the creator of the universe, right? God says, okay, buddy, I get it. Let me ask you the same thing again. And you better not reply with the same response because it didn't work the first time. And then he did. He essentially tells God, why is this happening to me? And I just, I love picturing God sitting there this is probably not how it happened, but it's just in my mind. I like visualizing it. I like looking at it. It's just how I read the scripture. I just imagine God fully face palming himself and just saying, child, don't make me smack you. That is my visualization of, of God in this moment, right? That's just, that's my interpretation. That's not what's actually happening here. But you know, that had to have set something off in God. Are you kidding me? I let you live through my presence, unfiltered, unadulterated presence of who I am, manifest on this planet and saved you from dying. And you're going to say the same thing again? <laughs> I love it. But what's really important is let's go look into what God asked Elijah, because that's the secret of this whole scripture, this whole verse, this whole crux of everything is what 
God asks him and then what he says after his response. God asks Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Now in the English, this is what, uh, six words? I hope I counted that right. In the Hebrew, when it was originally written, it's only two words. That's it. Amar Elijah. And if, if you understand a little bit of Hebrew, half the word, half the sentence is his name. Amar Elijah. That's the entire sentence. It comes down in English. What are you doing here, Elijah? Amar Elijah. That's all God says to Elijah to set him off of, why has this happened to me? Huh, God? Amar Elijah. I think it's vital we understand what God is saying and the definition of these words. Amar means this, to be called. Right? To be called, to be commanded, to, to ask. And Elijah, this is the secret of it all. When God says his name, the Hebrew word is, my God is Jehovah. So when God is asking Elijah, he's actually saying, why are you here? Your calling, your purpose, your identity is, my God is Jehovah. And you're up here acting like your God is fear. Acting like your God is worry. Acting like your God is defeat. Because last time I checked, your God is Jehovah, which is me. I'm going to deal with these things, and you act as if you've already been defeated. You full-on quit before anything has happened. That's insane. Which brings me back to my interpretation of how I view God in this moment. Child, please. Do you know who your God is? And I think this is a vital question for us to ask our own selves in moments and situations. Who is your God? Do you know who your God is? Do you know who your Jesus is? Or are you like Elijah in this moment where money has become your God? Where gossip has become your God? When when arguments have become your God? When worry has become your God? Because only one thing can be over the pedestal in your life. And it's evident in how you think and how you act and what you do. We need to allow God to be our God. We need to allow Jesus to be our God, not these things that want to try to steal our thoughts away. God is our God. That's it. The end. Elijah is all of us. When we take on the spirit of why is this happening to me, we are allowing something to try and take the place of God. And fear it's so crazy. I, I, every single person has dealt with this. And maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just I deal with this. I don't know. But there's moments of, I know what the Bible says. I know what God says. I know what I'm called to do. But then fear comes in and I make decisions based off of fear. Or I make decisions based off of worry. Or I make decisions based off of money. And it's absurd. And in those moments, God shows up and says, what are you doing here, Matt? You are called. You are purposed. And you're allowing that thing to control your life? No, I'm in control of your life. You have stolen my job title away from me and given it to this thing that does not worthy and belong a part, as part of your life. 
it, it blows our mind. And then it continues on. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 15a. <laughs> this, is, this is God responding right after Elijah says, says the whole long statement, right? Why, why are these things happening to me? And then God replies with, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. That's not a good statement. Another way of saying it, go back from where you came from. Go back from where you, you just were. And God says, turn around and head back. So the interesting thing about this all is it, the, the start of the story starts with he ran for 40 days and 40 nights. And then God says, go back the way you came. Meaning he's referencing 40 days and 40 nights. Start walking. And, and the, the, the context, if you will, the, the hidden gem out of this whole scripture is 40 means tested by God. And so when, when Elijah runs away, he was being tested by God and he failed his test. Will he trust God or will he succumb to failing it? And he trusts these other emotions that spring up. And so God says, hey, you know what? I love you so much. I care for you so much. Take the test again. I, I don't know. Have you ever taken, have you ever taken a test twice? Like that's not the best feeling on the planet. That means you didn't do good enough the first time that you can't move forward till you do it again. I remember senior year, woo, best, favorite, most exciting, loving, enduring test of my life, the SATs. Like, don't you just love the SATs? The Saturday afternoon test or whatever it stands for. Like you go in there and you bring your number two pencils, you sit down, and it's just like this warm, inviting environment. No, it's it's awful. It is the worst. And I remember taking my SATs. And back then, eventually you get in, in the mail a letter and it would show your score. And then it would break down some of your results, right? It would break it down to, I think, math and writing. And then those two combined was your score. And I remember my dad uh, had my SAT number on a Saturday morning. And he was looking at it. And he's like, do you see your, you see your score? And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Well, I'm, I can go to U of O. I made it. And he goes, well, I understand. <laughs> I understand. You think you got a good score here. And I was like, no, that's, that's a, above the minimum. And he goes, no, look at your numbers here. So, so at that time, you, you had a minimum that you had to make in order to go to college. My minimum was good enough, but that was not good enough for my dad. And so my minimum, they add the, the math and the writing, and my minimum looked like this. My math was here, my writing was here. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> you're gonna take it again. And I was like, no, I, I made it. And he's like, no, you need to take it again. And he goes, in fact, I've already signed you up for the next Saturday. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and he sat me down and he asked me about why I took the test a certain way. He goes, your math, you almost got a perfect, but your writing is atrocious. What happened? T tell me, was it hard? Do you not understand the questions? 
And I, I wish I just said yes, but it was a trap. If, <laughs> if I just said yes, I probably wouldn't have had to take it again. But my answer was, uh, I didn't really want to read this story. And then some of the other ones took a long time. And then I kind of wanted to go outside. So I just marked some stuff. And then some I just skipped. And then I left. And my dad's face, I was like, I don't want to see that face again. Sheer disappointment and frustration. All of the emotions that a, a good dad would have of like, are you kidding me? Very much so of what I think God had towards Elijah in this moment of failing miserably on this test. And so God says, go back and take it again. And I, I find that that test that God puts in our lives when he tests us stands true that he tests us and if we don't pass it we get to luxuriously take it again because what has not been tested cannot be trusted mm-hmm. right how can god trust us with what we can't even test to pass in you're wondering why the same thing happens over and over and over and over it's because you haven't passed your test yet You're stuck in this. And God says, can you go back and do it? I can't move you into the next part of your calling until you pass this test. And he has all the time on his hands. And he's like, it's it's really on you right now. God will test us and test us. And and I, I wrote down part of what I believe that Elijah was tested in. Right, what led him to run away was Elijah was tested on what he saw, what he knew, and what would be the outcome. And I, I think that's what he was ultimately tested in. Right? It's what he saw, what he knew, and, and what he thought the defeat was going to be like, what he thought the outcome was. Because it's evident in his writing. It says that They're trying to kill. There's no one left. He's expressing what he's seeing. And then he says, they're trying to kill me. He's saying what he thinks to be true and no. And then he says, and then that's going to be the end. I will be killed. That's the outcome. He doesn't see the outcome of being victorious because God's behind him. He sees these items. And he failed that test. And the interesting thing about it was Elijah made the whole story about himself and his situation. I, I Man, I really think that's, that's one of the hardest things of humanity, of us individuals. We think everything is about us, right? It's all about me. It's about what I get. It, life's not fair. That person has that. I only got this. I need to get it. Your story is not about you. It's actually about Jesus. All of our stories are about Jesus. All of our stories end with Jesus. Right? That we will all be in heaven surrounding Jesus. None of us will be on the throne and telling our story. We will be in front of Jesus. Every story is about Jesus. And Elijah, (laughs) the audacity that he had, thought the story was about him. It it never was about him. You will fail your own test when you act like Elijah by doing the three things. One, see your own situation. Two, know your situation. And three, defeated by your situation. Having those 
those concepts, when your focus, number one, when you, you're only seeing your situation rather than seeing God in the situation, you're in trouble. Number two, when you, when you know your situation, right? You're consumed by it. You talk about it. You think about it. You don't sleep at night because you're consumed by your own situation. That's all that's on your mind. And number three, when all you see is defeat, we can fall in the trap that Elijah had fallen into. Uh, there's no way out. This, this is never going to get better. There is no good outcome that I can see. You're right. There is none that you can see. Because you're supposed to be looking at Jesus. Right? And this is this is where we can fall into the same trap that, uh, that Elijah was in. We all need to retake our tests when we fall in the same shoes as Elijah. And here's, here's the weird thing about this story. So God full on straight up tells him, go back the way you came. Essentially, go retake your test. You done failed. And then he follows it up with, okay, but I want you to anoint these three people. Right, that's how it ends. He, he says, go retake your test, but anoint these three people. What? What does that have to do with anything? So it's like, it's almost as if when a teacher makes you retake the test, and it, the test isn't just the exact same and you have to retake it, but they're like, oh, and I added some extra questions for you. That is not helpful. I was prepared to study this and now I have to do other things? <laughs> First Kings 19, starting with 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram king over Aaron. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nisim, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Moan to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put, it, put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. It's like, okay, God. But Elijah knows God good enough to when he speaks, he listens. Right? So he goes back, retakes his tests, and has to anoint three people. How do you find hope when you have a case of the why is this happening to me? Well, let's just bring it home and, and wrap this up. Anointing means to place an unquestionable authority, a king, a prophet, completely in charge, right? God says, I want these three people to be completely in charge. Two are going to be kings, one's a prophet, but that doesn't matter. It's, it's completely in charge of that area. Full authority. They will be anointed by you to be in full authority over that area. Wouldn't it be crazy? if the three names that God gave were actually applicable to solving Elijah's problem, wouldn't that be crazy? Well, as God is genius, he made it so. I love this. Hazael, the first one, his name meaning is one who sees God. You need to see Jesus. Your situation is not the center of your 
whole life Jesus is. Uh, the irony of this all where Elijah Elijah was failing his test because he was seeing a situation and not seeing Jesus. The first person God says to anoint, his main meeting is one who sees God. God's like, I need you to go anoint this person. I wonder if God's just sitting there, just kind of smirking to himself, trying not to laugh. Your first task when you retake the same test again is you have to see Jesus, Jesus in your situation. Whatever you're going through, try to find Jesus. Try to find the hope, the, the little thing that, why is this situation so bad and so atrocious and so happening? Find the gem that is Jesus in the center of it. Find out where that hope is. And that's the first part of passing your test that you've been failing for, for so long, is you have to see Jesus in the center. The second name, Jehu. Ready for this? Jehovah is he, or one who knows God. Right? When, when Elijah was failing his test, it was because he couldn't see Jesus in the situation. And then he could, he didn't know that Jesus was moving or moving in it. God wasn't a part of it. He, he, his whole mind was consumed with the situation and not of God. So God says, and I want you to anoint the one who knows God. The goal in this moment, the whole crux, the whole thing is that you would know Jesus. Your relationship would be all about Jesus. You would look for Jesus in the situation, and then you would know Jesus is in the situation. Because when you see him and look for him and know he's there, there is no way you can allow your mind to be defeated and run away to isolation again. And then the third name, the third name, ready? Elisha. So his name is Elijah, and this person's name is Elisha. Means God is salvation, or one who is saved by God. Right? So, so if you run from your situation... How can God save you in the situation? The third person he was supposed to anoint means God is going to save you, right? You can't be defeated because God is here to save you. So the three things that, that Elijah was struggling with were the three names that he was supposed to anoint and appoint over the land. Someone who sees Jesus, someone who knows Jesus, and someone who is saved by Jesus. When you have when you have the mindset of why is this happening to me, you need to really change and pivot all your thinking to I'm looking for Jesus in this situation because I know that Jesus is in the situation. And I also know that he is going to save me in this situation. And I can't run from it because if I run from it, I will miss him saving me in this situation. The best place to be when you got a situation is in the middle of it because that is where Jesus saves you. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Jesus is ready to save you in it. We need to see Jesus, know it's Jesus, and be saved by Jesus. That's where our hope is. And I just, I want to encourage all of us, my, myself included, 
We need to pass our tests. We need to make sure that Jesus is the center of everything. I, I don't I don't want to fail any more tests. I, I don't want to see you fail any more tests. Patty, you never fail tests, so we're all good. <laughs> so, just kidding. But that's that's where we're at. We need to see Jesus. We need to know Jesus because he's going to save us. Let's pray. Lord, we absolutely love you. We thank you for laying out Elijah's failure and his test so that we can relate to this and we can know how to move forward like Elijah did. I pray that you'd be with us uh, today, Mother's Day. I pray for all the, the men and the children, daughters and sons that forgot that it was Mother's Day. May you have mercy on them. <laughs> but Lord, in all seriousness, we love you, we worship you, and we're excited for what you're doing in our lives. Amen. And with that, uh, just want to remind everybody that you can go to lighthouse805.com or click the link above to go ahead and give of your tithe and offering. And you can also give to our children's fund for our remodeling fund. Um, so we're getting there. We're, we're Again, we're climbing up to our goal, and that's really, really exciting um, to know what we have to look forward to with um, our children's ministry. So that'll be lots of fun stuff. Uh, we have game night uh, is on Wednesdays at 7 p.m., and it's going to be through Zoom. So if you want to hop on that, please let us know. Fill out the contact form at lighthouse805.com. Uh, you can reach us through there, or you can reach us through social media, and I'll get to that in a second. Uh, but we host a game night on Wednesday nights, and it's just silly fun like just really silly fun <laughs> so uh, we really look forward to it uh, during the week and so we hope to see you there this Wednesday um, and so social media will have information on that as well uh, but Thursdays we have our Berean Bible study so if you want to get plugged into that and delve deeper into um, just the richness of the word um, please contact us it's on Thursday evenings led by Sterling Tashima so Again, go to lighthouse805.com and fill out that contact form and we can give you all the information for that. Um, so social media, we're so excited. We have so many fun posts going on there, just some um, fun, silly things to be entertained with during the week, but also information on what's up and coming and what we're, what we're doing virtually. Um, and we'd love to hear from you also. So if you mm -hmm. have stuff you're doing that's fun, tag us. Uh, at Lighthouse 805, and uh, we'd love to share with all your adventures uh, in this season of our lives right now. Um, and also, with that, be on the lookout for our weekly newsletter. Those go out in the beginning of the week, and that also has information of what's going on um, and what to look forward to. So make sure you keep an eye on your emails for that. And if you'd like to receive the weekly newsletter, please, again, fill out that contact form so we can get your email address, and we will be getting that into your inbox. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Enjoy your day, ladies. <laughs> you guys are awesome.